You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, it's great to be with you guys today. How are we doing today, City Church? Man, good to see you. Well, man, there's a lot to celebrate today, and one of the things that we're going to celebrate today is Humby Sibere. It's his birthday today, and I've known Humby. Yeah, let's give some love for Humby right on. So uh, I've known Humby for about 15 years now, and I thank the Lord for the man of God that he has become, uh, the man for his family that he is, and the, uh, one of the pastors for this church that Humby is. So uh, I thank God for him his life. And so when you see Humby throughout the day, just make sure, give him a hug, tell him happy birthday. Now, my wife and I are celebrating something next week. We're going to celebrate 31 years of marriage, right on? Uh, That's pretty good, isn't it? In fact, uh, we got married when I was five years old and... Uh, now we're going to be celebrate that, celebrating that next week. And you know, I was thinking back to when we were engaged. Uh, we got married right out of college, and we had to spend the better part of a summer right before our wedding. And during that summer, you know, we were writing each other these love letters, you know, and Jeannie would put her little love letters, you know, on this really girly stationery and all of that, you know, and I, I, I know it's girly, but I kind of liked it, you know what I mean, seeing her uh, love letters in that way. Um, but you know what would not make sense that I would have done with those letters is that it would not make sense for me to let someone else open the letters and read them and then commentate on them to me about what she meant about the love letter, would it? Wouldn't I want to go right to the letter myself and read it for myself? And that's precisely what we're trying to do in this series is we're saying Jesus wrote these love letters to us in the red letter sections of the Bible, and we got to go to it ourselves, straight on, and read it for ourselves. So that's why we've been in this series read the red throughout the entire summer, uh, and we've, we've read this one verse over and over again throughout the series, Matthew six thirty four, where Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each what? Day has enough trouble of its own, and we've looked at how Jesus wants us to follow him daily. So remember, we've said throughout the series, change happens daily, not in a day. That's been the transforming idea throughout the entirety of the series. And we know that we have to go back to Jesus each day uh, to walk with him. And we've made the uh, 84-day challenge to read through the red letter sections of the Bible. If you don't know what the red letter sections is, that's basically just the parts that Jesus speaks into. Um, and a lot of translations of the Bible will put his words in red. We posted that reading plan on our social media, our website. We had bookmarkers around here. Uh, I think we're somewhere around halfway there, right? Today is day 42. Uh, if you came into the series late, it's okay. Uh, you can start today. You can start on day 42. You can start on day two. I don't care when you start. I just want you to go directly to the source and read the love letters of Jesus to you, to your life, to encourage your life. Now, um, we're going to get a lot of encouragement today, and I want to tell you why. Because years ago, you know, uh, I, I struggled spiritually, personally. And throughout the years, you've heard me talk about a lot of my struggles. Like I've had to stand up here before and say some very embarrassing things that I've done in my life, some ways that I failed, you know, and there was a time where I didn't know better, but it was worse the times that I did know better. How many of you know that? 
It's like, yeah, it's real easy to say, well, before I was a Christian, I did X, Y, and Z, but there are a lot of times where after you're a Christian, you knew better than what you were doing that you did what you did, and I've done that. And it brought a lot of guilt and shame on my life. And has anybody besides me been there before where you did some stuff that you regret? And, you know, for me, I would always ask the question, after what I've done, could God ever use me for anything good? And maybe there have been things that have transpired in your life, like maybe after you, your marriage failed and you got a divorce, and like, how could God ever use me again? For others, it was maybe a substance abuse problem. How could God ever use me again? Maybe it was porn, or uh, maybe it was prison time, or maybe you look back to that time when you used to root for Kawhi Leonard, and it just feels so dirty now, you know? <laughs> Um, but I don't know what it is in your life. Um, but uh, a lot of us feel those things where the enemy tries to remind us of our past and we feel shameful and we ask the question, how could God ever love me, let alone use me for anything good? Well, I want to encourage you with one transforming idea today based on the story we're going to study from the Bible, and it's this. Your comeback is better than your setback. Would anybody receive that one today, that your comeback is better than your setback? Could we say that one out loud together so that hopefully we can remember it throughout the week? Ready when I point to you? Your comeback is better than your setback. And that's certainly what we're going to see in the story when Jesus took his young disciples to the other side of this lake. And I'll just tell you the story kind of in a short form uh, in case you've never heard the story. Uh, Jesus got his young disciples into a boat. They went across a lake and they went to this area that was kind of crazy. And this guy who was demon possessed came to meet them. Uh, when they landed at the shore, the guy was manifesting these crazy demons. He didn't have very much on. Uh, he was wild-eyed, and he was manifesting these things. And Jesus called out the demons, cast them out, threw them into like pigs or something. And the, the pigs ran down a hill, a steep embankment, into the water and drowned. And the formerly demon-possessed guy was standing there, clothed, and in his right mind, he was completely healed. Kind of a strange story, isn't it? And so we're going to break it down and show you the things that Jesus was trying to impart and teach his disciples through this encounter. And the first one is this. The disciples learned that living the red or living the ways of Jesus will take you to the other side. The other side. We see that in Mark chapter 5. Look at verse 1. It says, And so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. So Jesus took his young disciples from the area that they were comfortable with, the good Jewish area of the lake of uh, the Sea of Galilee, and he crossed the lake to the other side. It's kind of like crossing the tracks on the wrong side of the tracks. This was an area called uh, the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, it's also called the Decapolis or the Ten Towns. You know how San Antonio has different names like the River City and Alamo City and San Antonio and all that? Well, this area had different names that people would call it. Um, it was an area that was completely under Roman control. And if you went back to the, the, the side of the lake that the disciples and Jesus came from, it was controlled by Jewish people called the Herodians. And so it was way more religious. But if you went to the other side of the lake, 
um, the Decapolis area or the, area, the region of the Gerasenes, it was known as a place that was unclean to the Jewish people. And so there were a myriad of ways that this demon-possessed guy was unclean. Uh, let me break it down for you. He was unclean because he had like unclean spirits in him. Another thing that the text would show us is that he would cut himself and he was bleeding. So to Jewish people, uh, blood was something you didn't want to physically touch. It would make you ceremonially unclean uh, for their religious practices. And so uh, he was unclean because he cut himself and he was bloody. Uh, He also hung out among the tombs to Jewish people. Uh, dead bodies were something that's unclean as well. So uh, this guy was amongst the tombs all the time. And to a Jewish person, if you were ever near a dead body, you had to do what's called mikvah, where you would do like a ceremonial washing to be clean so you could be around other people and so that you could worship God again. Uh, Another thing that made this guy unclean, and the last thing is that he lives in the Decapolis, an area that's considered to be unclean by the Jewish people. But what Jesus does is he intentionally takes his young disciples from the nice religious area to the other side of the lake to that which is unclean. And it reminds me of the early years of this church when uh, we had this gathering for men. It was like kind of one of those little small group tribes that we have around here. And it was just for men. We called it man cave. And I remember Uh, That group of men, we would pray together, we would study the Bible together, um, and one evening in that group, one of the guys that was in the the tribe who uh, had lived a lot of time on the streets downtown here, uh, he uh, shared with the group that he needed prayer because he just found out that day that he had AIDS. And I was so proud when all the men in that group weren't repelled by him, but gravitated towards him to lay hands on him, to pray with him, to get close to him, to let him know we love you, we're here with you. And listen, when you walk in the ways of Jesus and read the red and try to do what it said, you will move toward that which this world says is unclean. There was a guy that used to attend our church. He passed away just a few years ago. His name was Louie. And a lot of people from the church were doing under-the-bridge ministry at that time, and there was a drug addict that was strung out, laying down on the streets underneath the bridge near downtown here, and he needed CPR and he was, or he was going to die. And there was a guy down there that said, hey, man, you need to stay away from that guy because who knows what kind of disease you'll get, and Louie didn't even bat an eye, but he gave that man mouth-to-mouth CPR and saved his life that night. Because see, when you read the red and do what it says, you move towards that which this world considers unclean. You rush towards the problems, and as we pray about our relocation as a church because in the next couple of years, we may have to relocate from here because during a couple of our service times, we, we can't fit everyone. You know, we're running out of space at the 10, 1130, and particularly as people get back from vacations, uh, as school starts, we're gonna be overrun around here. And so we're praying about a potential location, and here's what you gotta know is that as we pray, we have to keep this in mind that what if God wants us to go to a worse neighborhood, right? 
when we moved into this neighborhood, it wasn't a great neighborhood, but now it's turned to be kind of a nice neighborhood, trendy restaurants, nice apartments, and all of that. But we have to say, as a tribe, if, uh, if and when God decides to move us to a bigger space, we have to say, maybe we're going to go across the lake. We're going to stay in the urban core, but we're going to go to a neighborhood or an area that needs us there, that needs our help. Is anybody on board with that one? Yeah, right on. So let me show you this other idea from the story is that Jesus' disciples, when they were walking with him, they would have learned that living the red challenges your name. Now, challenging your name is all about identity. We get a lot of sense of identity about our name, and you look all throughout the Bible, and you see all these people changing their name, you know, like, um, you know, Saul turned to Paul, and I could go on and on with all the different name changes that are in the Bible, but there's a lot of meaning in names in the Scriptures. Look at Mark chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, uh, when Jesus is confronting these demons. Then Jesus demanded of the demon, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirit begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And so there's a lot of meaning in this name, legion of these demons that were infesting this particular man. Uh, Let me show you several facets of the meaning of the name legion. Number one, uh, it was a demon or demons with supernatural strength. And I know this is kind of odd to us. And if you're new to church, I know this sounds really weird to you. And you're probably thinking, well, there are probably academics that would say that this is really just mental illness or schizophrenia or something like that. Uh, And certainly we believe uh, that that is true and those things can happen. And that may, may have been part of the equation here in this particular story. But I would say that there are also the scripture teaches and we have experienced very real demonic spirits that can infest people. We've done series on that in the past. You can go back and listen to podcasts to um, explore that further. But uh, I remember one time I had an experience when we were doing ministry with a teenage girl who uh, had like she, she kicked one of the guys that was ministering alongside me. And this guy wasn't just any guy, but he's a former uh, major college football player, and he had been a bouncer at bars. And he told me after the encounter, he said, Doug, I have never been kicked that hard in all my life. And that was the case with the guy that Jesus was ministering to in this story, is that he was a man who had been chained up many times, and the Bible says that he could literally break the chains up because he was so strong, no one could control this particular guy. So that's a part of what Legion was about, but it's also a political name because this area was under Roman occupation. According to Bible teacher Ken Dobson, the word Legion was a political military word that means 6,831 troops. And this area in the Decapolis or the Ten Towns or the regions of Gerasenes was known as a place that was under complete Roman control by the 10th Roman Legion of that day. I learned from Josephus, a Jewish and Roman historian, um, who says that the emblem or the mascot of the 10th Roman Legion was the boar or the pig. I brought a picture of the 10th Roman Legion emblem that they would take into battle or they would carry around in areas that they would take over militarily and control 
control there. And so people lived in fear of the 10th Roman legion. And so when Jesus is casting the demons out of the man into the pig, he is challenging three different things. And the first one is he's challenging the demons and he's saying, look, demons, you have no power over me. In fact, we see in the story and through many stories that demons are afraid of Jesus. They screech. They, they recognize his authority and his power here. But a second thing that Jesus is challenging is the Roman military. He's challenging the boar. He's saying, uh, I can take you out anytime I want. And over years, indeed, he did take them out. But look at Mark 5, 11. It says, there happens to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside side nearby. Uh, Send us, the demons say, send us into those pigs. Spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. Notice who's in control here. Jesus gives the permission here. And the evil spirits came out of the man, entered into the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. This is a political maneuver on Jesus' part. And I want to tell you why. Because in Jewish history, they remember when they were set free from Egypt. Do you remember uh, Prince of Egypt, the little animated thing? Okay, that's like in the Bible, in the Exodus story, when the Jewish people were enslaved by the Pharaoh back in Egypt. And remember the whole parting of the sea thing? The Jewish people went through the parting of the sea. And then as the Egyptians were chasing them through the parted sea, the water came down on the Egyptians and drowned them. And on the other side, of the Sea of Galilee, the Jewish people sang a little song, and the song went something like this. The horse and rider cast into the sea. And here we see it again. The pigs, the boar, the Roman military, the demons, the evil cast into the what? Sea. And drowned. In fact, Jesus is saying, I'm way more powerful than any military on earth. My love is power. See, I'm way more powerful than any demon. Like Jesus is way more powerful than Thanos when he has all the infinity stones. It doesn't matter who it is or what it is. Jesus is way more powerful. And uh, Jesus challenges this name, Legion, and he challenges the name that you've lived with for many years as well. Because unfortunately, some of us have had other people give us names. Someone said, you're a loser. Jesus says, nope, with me, as you walk in the red, you're a winner in Christ. For some, you've lived with a name like homeless or whatever, and Jesus says, well, I live a little time as homeless too, but you have a home in heaven with me. For others, the name has been addict, and Jesus says, no, you walk with me, and you'll walk in freedom from that. Some ladies have lived with the name that someone spoke to you in anger and rage and the flesh, and they said, you're a slut, and Jesus says, no, you're pure with me, my dear daughter. I love you. Some have lived with uh, the, the word scarcity, but Jesus says, no, there's plenty. There's abundance. Some have lived with the name rejected, but Jesus says, no, now, dear child, dear daughter, dear son, you are accepted in Christ. And so Jesus challenged the demons. Jesus challenged the Roman military, the boar. And he also says a third thing. I value people. Look at the next verse. 
Mark 5, 17, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. You say, well, why would they do that? Does that make sense to you? Why would the people, after Jesus had cast the demons like evil out of a dude into pigs and they run down a hill and drowned, you would think that they would want Jesus around because he helped this guy, wouldn't you? But they say, we want you to get out of here. We want you to leave. And I kind of scratch my head and think, why would they want that? But I think I come to an understanding through the wisdom of an African tribesman who understands a, a culture like what we were dealing with then And what he says is, is that the pigs were the local economy. And to Jesus, one man's soul is more important than the entire economy of the region. Does that make sense? Jesus says, I value people more than the economy of pig farming in that particular area, see? And look at what Jesus does for this man after he cast the demons out. Mark 5, 15, it says, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And look at this last part. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. Fully clothed and perfectly sane. This is the result of having had an encounter with Jesus. This is a man who realized that your comeback is better than your setback, right? Uh, But another thing that Jesus' disciples learned in this encounter was that when you live the red, you proclaim the change. You live the red and proclaim the change. We see this in Mark chapter 5, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, gonna leave. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus says, no, go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to what? Proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. And so you see what's taking place here? This guy He's had this encounter with Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that would be great. Because Jesus, you could take this guy who had been demon-possessed. You can take him back to the Jewish area. You can uh, take him back there and tell his testimonial, right? And it'll be encouraging to so many people. And other people might think about that story. Yeah, Jesus, you need to take that guy and get him into some type of discipleship class or some type of training so he can learn more about the Bible from you. But Jesus says, no, don't do any of that. I want you to go back to your people and proclaim the change that's taken place in your life. And when you proclaim the change, it's important to emphasize how you got changed. Look at this uh, statement here. The demon-possessed guy went to his community to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And you know, over the years, I've oftentimes encouraged you guys to share your stories. And I wonder sometimes if I place too much of an emphasis on you sharing your story and not you sharing the story of what Jesus 
has done in your life. Because when you read the red and do what it says, Jesus doesn't just have a role in your story. Jesus is the focal point of your story. Jesus is the star of your story. And look, the demon-possessed guy was a babbling idiot until he had an encounter with Jesus. And what I've come to terms with is as the older I get and I look back on the ways that Jesus has set me free from struggles and issues in this life, the more I believe that my freedom is just because of Jesus and Jesus alone. And you know, there have been times where I've been willing to go through steps. I've been willing to go through counseling. I've been willing to go through studies. And I should, we should, you should, everyone should do all those things. But at the end of the day, it is Jesus that sets us free The reason I can stand here today and say I've been many years free from significant issues in this life is because I've had an encounter with Jesus. That is the point. In Revelation, you see these people, they were able to overcome their enemies and big problems. It says there in Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What happens first? The word of their testimony? No. The blood of the lamb. The reason we even have a testimony or a story is because of the blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so after this encounter with the demon-possessed man, like two years later, Jesus and his disciples go back to that area. And you know what's interesting? The next time they go back there, they are met at the beach by a whole crowd of Christ followers at that point. Do you suppose that this guy who had been filled with demons and went and proclaimed the good news of what Jesus had done for him had converted a majority of that area of people to come to faith in Christ? This one man proclaimed the change. And this whole area we know from history later became largely Christian. And the seat of the bishop was an area within the Decapolis called Susita, the Bishop of Susita. Now, if you also look at church history, you would find this ancient document that we have that's called the Nicene Creed, which teaches us a lot of what we know about Jesus today. Now, when I mention the Nicene Creed, I know that most of you don't have a copy of that on your coffee table or uh, whatever, but... Um, If you've ever been to a Catholic or Protestant church, your view of Jesus has been shaped by the Nicene Creed. And here's what I'll tell you about that creed. Is it from history we know that a man who is known as the Bishop of Susita penned the original words to the Nicene Creed and over the years others have edited it, but the original thoughts of the Nicene Creed came from someone known as the Bishop of Susita. And Bible teacher Ray Vanderlaan would suggest that the guy who had been filled with demons that were cast into the pigs, who went back and told the story and proclaimed the change of what Jesus did for him, very well could have become the bishop there and also penned the words about Jesus that affect you and I today. And you know why? Because your comeback is better than your setback. Is anybody on board with that? And as I tell my story, uh, uh, wherever I tell it, whether it's here or um, speaking elsewhere, 
I'm encouraged by those words that you can be used of God because your comeback is better than your setback. I was interested to read recently about Brittany De La Mora. She's a former porn star who was led to Christ through a ministry called Triple X Church that not only helps people avoid uh, pornography, you know, they have accountability software that a lot of people have downloaded over the years, but it also helps people out of the pornography industry who were in it. And uh, Brittany was an actress in pornographic movies. And she said, I used to wonder, could Jesus really love me? Because I sure don't deserve it. I sell myself for money. So how could he ever love me? But one of the glorious things that's happened in recent days is that as Brittany has come to faith in Christ and grown in him, now she has been named the leader and pastor of Triple X Church. And I'll tell you why that's happened in her life, because your comeback is better than your setback, right? And that's meaningful to me, because if I were to hold up a poster board that talked about my life before having encounters with Jesus, it would say things like, you know, drugs and lust and rebellion. And I, if I were to turn it over now, I could say, I'm a pastor submitted and in love with Jesus. And I'm not the only one proclaiming that change in my life, but I'm standing before many of you who could proclaim the great things that Jesus has done as you've had encounters with him. And so as we keep that in mind, would you guys uh, worship with us as the band leads us in song? And God, we honor you today because you're so good to us. You're for us, not against us. And you are challenging today the names that have been spoken over many as we bow before a loving and perfectly holy God, perhaps someone is dawning on the truth that God's brought you here to adopt you into his family, that he wants to know you, to love you, to start a relationship with you. And if you can just simply believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was dying there to pay the penalty for your sin. You can know him today. Just say something like this in your own heart between you and God. Just say, God, look, I know, I know, I get it that I've messed up, I've sinned. But right now, the best I know how, I am choosing the best I can comprehend it in this mind to believe and receive the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. God, welcome into my life. As we continue in prayer, there are others of us that have known him and we've done stuff that we know better than And today we need like a name of something negative challenged in our lives. If that's your situation today, it's like you feel unworthy in some way. Just kind of show me your hand real quick. Done something at some point. Feel unworthy? Yeah. This is just as I suspected. And I want to call out the legions that are coming against the people of God and bringing guilt and shame. And that guilt and shame is being cast away into the sea today. As we stand here in prayer before a loving and holy God, Jesus, we ask for encounters with you as you challenge the dark powers in our lives. And we receive new sense of identity 
and we walk into who we are in Christ as children beloved, as perfectly pure, as totally accepted. And Lord, I have this picture in my mind of what you're doing in some people's hearts and souls right now in these moments that you're drawing them in close. You're like embracing and bringing people's, you're you're embracing people's heads and bringing them into your chest so close that they can sense your heartbeat of love. And as much as they think they're not even worthy to come near you, you're pulling them closer to hear your beating heart of love for them and grace towards them. And you're saying, child, not only do I love you, but I'm clothing you with righteousness and giving you a noble purpose in this life to go tell the good things that I've done for you. I'm throwing a party for you. And I've written love letters to you. And I can't get enough of your worship and love and connection and time together because you're my beloved child. Would anybody receive that identity today? Just raise a hand real quick. Anybody want to receive some of that today? Yes. It's what he's doing for you right now in these moments. So thank you, Jesus, for your kindness to us. And we bask in the wonder that is your love and grace to us. Thank you for what you're doing among us now. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.